Yeah. Ephraim back there already? Yeah. Jackson back there? All right. Bye. All right. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. This is what we hope for. As Christians, that Jesus Christ came from heaven. That Mary, even though a virgin, gave birth to a son in a manger in Bethlehem. Gave him the name Jesus. Whose coming was foretold by the prophets Micah and Isaiah and others. Who went to the cross as a sheep led to the slaughter. Even though there was no sin in him, was beaten, scourged, nailed to that cross. Who died and was buried, and who rose again on the third day. As he foretold his followers, the disciples, who was seen by many for forty days after the resurrection, and then he returned back to heaven, and now sits at the right hand of the Father, ever making intercession for us. This is what we believe in as Christians. This is what we have faith in. This is what we have hope in. This is who Stephen saw before he was stoned. i got to read you this. In Acts chapter 7, if you got your Bibles, I'm going to read you the whole chapter of Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. I love this. It's sad. It's sad in a way, but I love it because I can just picture Jesus up there on the throne at the right hand of God cheering Stephen on. I can picture Jesus up there looking down upon Stephen and saying, you go. Go get him, boy. That's right. Get him. Cheering him on, knowing that it wouldn't be long that Stephen would be right there with him. He says, then the high priest, this is Stephen's speech to the Sanhedrin, thank you, the Sanhedrin, I'll get it right. This is after Stephen was seized, because Stephen was a man full of God's grace and power. It says, he was seized by the Sanhedrin, because of the great wonders and miraculous signs that was going on among the people of that time, that Stephen was performing. 
He says, the high priest asked him, are these charges true? To this he replied, brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran. He said, leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. That takes faith right there, doesn't it? To have a man leave his family to follow a God that was new to him, that was new to his family, because his family did not worship God. They worshiped idols. And God told him, you leave your family and you go to a land where I am calling you. And I will show you. So Abraham left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. After the death of his father, God sent him to, his, to this land where you are now living. He gave him no inheritance here, not even a foot of ground. But God promised him that he and his, he and his descendants after him would possess the land. Even though at that time Abraham had no children. God spoke to him this way. Your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own. And they will be enslaved and mistreated for hundreds of years. Now that takes faith too. To believe that from God. A promise that you and your descendants will own this land. This will be an inheritance to you. Well they didn't even have children. Can you imagine all the doubts and fears that must have gone through Abraham's mind? He said, but I will punish. Let's see. Your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own. And they will be enslaved and mistreated for hundreds of years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves. God said, and afterward they will come out of that country and worship me in this place. Then he gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision, and Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him eight days after his birth. Later, Isaac became the father of Jacob, and Jacob became the father of the twelve patriarchs. That's the twelve tribes of Israel. And you've got to remember... This is Stephen giving account of all of this to the Sanhedrin. Sanhedrin. Because the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph, they sold him as a slave into Egypt, but God was with him and rescued him from all his troubles. He gave Joseph wisdom and enabled him to gain the goodwill of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So he made him ruler over Egypt and all his palace. Then a famine struck all Egypt and Canaan, bringing great suffering. And our fathers could not find food. When Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent our fathers on their first visit. On their second visit, Joseph told his brothers who he was. And Pharaoh learned about Joseph's family after this. Joseph sent for his father Jacob and his whole family, 75 in all. 
Then Jacob went down to Egypt where he and our fathers died. Their bodies were brought back to Shechem and placed in the tomb that Abraham had bought from the sons of Hamar at Shechem for a certain sum of money. At this time, as the time drew near for God to fulfill his promise to Abraham, the number of our people in Egypt greatly increased. Then another king who knew nothing about Joseph became ruler of Egypt. He dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our forefathers by forcing them to throw out their newborn babies that they would die. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? <laughs> kind of sounds like the state we're in. At that time, Moses was born. And he was no ordinary child. For three months he was cared for in his father's house. When he was placed outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him up as her own son. Moses was educated. All the wisdom of the Egyptians. In all the wisdom of the Egyptians. And was powerful in speech and action. When Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his fellow Israelites. He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian, so he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Moses thought that his people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. The next day, Moses came upon two Israelites who were fighting. He tried to reconcile them by saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you want to hurt each other? But the man who was mistreating the other pushed Moses aside and said, Who made you the ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? When Moses heard this, he fled to Midian, where he settled as a foreigner and had two sons. After forty years had passed, an angel appeared to Moses in the flames of the burning bush in the desert near Mount Sinai. When he saw this, he was amazed at the sight. As he went over to look more closely, he heard the Lord's voice. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses trembled with fear and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off your sandals. The place where you are standing is holy ground. I have indeed seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their groaning and have come down to set them free. Now come, I will send you back to Egypt. This is the same Moses whom they had rejected with the words, Who made you ruler and judge? He was sent there to be, he was sent to be their ruler and deliverer by God himself through the angel who appeared to him in the bush. He led them out of Egypt and did wonders and miraculous signs in Egypt at the Red Sea and for 40 years in the desert. This is that Moses who told the Israelites, God will send you a prophet like me from your own people. He was in the assembly in the desert with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our fathers. And he received living words to pass on to us. But our fathers refused to obey him. 
Instead, they rejected him, and their hearts turned back to Egypt. They told Aaron, make us a gold, make us gods who will go before us. And for this fellow Moses who led us out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. That was the time they made the idol in the form of a calf. They brought sacrifices to it and held a celebration in honor of what their hands had made. But God turned away and gave them over to the worship of the heavenly bodies. This agrees with what is written in the book of the prophets. Did you bring me sacrifices and offerings? Forty years in the desert, O house of Israel, you have lifted up the shrine of Moloch and the star of your god Rephim, the idols you made to worship. Therefore I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. Our forefathers had the tabernacle, had the tabernacle of the testimony with them in the desert. The tabernacle of the testimony, you guys know what that is, right? The Ark of the Covenant. And in the Ark of the Covenant was placed, what was placed in it, I know. Ten Commandments, Aaron's staff and the jar of manna. Three items. The jar of manna representing the time that, that Israel was led into the desert and God fed them. The Ten Commandments was the law. Aaron's staff, because when it budded, it was a miracle that would happen. He said, our forefathers had the tabernacle of the testimony. The tabernacle of the testimony is also what parted the Jordan River. When the priest just entered and stepped into it, the water parted. Amazing. Before they went into Jericho. It's what they used to march around Jericho with when they blew the trumpets. The priests carried it before them. It went into every battle with the Israelites. It was the presence of God. Our forefathers had the tabernacle of the testimony with them in the desert. It had been made as God directed Moses according to the pattern he had seen. Having received the tabernacle, our fathers under Joshua brought it with them when they took it, when they took the land from the nations. God drove out before them. It remained in that land until the time of David, who enjoyed God's favor and asked, that he might provide a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built the house for him. However, the Most High does not live in houses made of men. As the prophet prophet said, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house would you build for me? Says the Lord. Or where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? All of this 
Stephen was giving testimony of what God has done and what God was doing at their time. And he says to the Sanhedrin, I think I've said that word three different ways. Sanhedrin, Sanhedrin. He said, you stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you are just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And he's talking about Jesus right there. The prophets predicted him, predicted it. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was put into effect through angels, but have not obeyed it. When they heard this, they were furious and they gnashed their teeth at him. I mean, how can you refute that? That has all been written. What, Jesus, what Stephen was doing was giving a testimony of how God led him and how Jesus was there and how they persecuted him and killed him. And they were angry because it was the truth. So they were furious and they gnashed their teeth at him. I can see Jesus standing there at the right hand of the Father, looking down, saying, that's right, that's right, that's right. That's not a false testimony. That's not a false testimony. That's the truth. That's the truth. You go get them. <laughs> when they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven, and he saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of Father, of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Can you imagine that? Looking up and seeing that in the sky. Seeing Jesus standing there next to God. You know, it says Jesus is seated at the right hand. But after this testimony that Stephen gave, it got him up off his feet. It got him up off his seat where he stood up onto his feet. And he's looking down right at Stephen. Knowing that just in a little bit he was going to be with him. And at this, you know what it said the Sanhedrin did? I said it different that time, too. It said they covered their ears. They stopped their ears. And they started yelling at the top of their voices. Can you imagine that? That sounds like a temper tantrum to me from a child. Doesn't it? It sounds like they hear the truth, but they don't want to hear the truth. 
It sounds like they know it's the truth, but they don't want to receive it. Can you imagine that? There, when Stephen says, look up, there's the Son of Man, there's Jesus, right next to God, in the heavens. I bet you not a one of them looked. They probably put their heads down, and just went, They covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices. They all rushed them. They all rushed at him. And then they dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of the young man named Saul. And we know who Saul is. He later became the Apostle Paul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. I don't know about you, But I know if somebody was trying to throw stones at me, I'd be picking those stones up and throwing them back. I would. I'd be like, what are you doing? I think if they started charging at me, I might have to charge back at them. (laughs) I will not go down silently. I think if there was no other way, I don't know. But here's Stephen, humble, fell to his knees and said, while he's being stoned, Father, don't hold the sin against him. They do not know what they do. It's the same thing Jesus said on the cross. This is the hope and the faith that Stephen had. He believed all these things that took place throughout history. That the prophet said about the coming Jesus. He must have saw Jesus and heard Jesus. And saw the miracles he'd done. Who knows what Stephen saw. Who knows if Stephen just heard of what he did. And believed it in his heart. And then he, then he confirmed it in the word. And said, yeah, this is true about this man. This is true of what all the prophets said. Look at it, it's written right here. And if, it's, if that faith there wasn't enough to make him say a thing like this. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And then what I like the last part of the sentence here. When he had said this, he fell asleep. And I think of that, I think of how gracious God is. How loving God is to one of his children. I bet you he didn't feel one of those stones that hit him or kill him. I bet you God took him. Took him, took his spirit right from him before he felt any pain. And took him right to heaven with him. And I guarantee you Stephen is right there with Jesus in heaven. 
I guarantee it, when we go to heaven, we're going to see Stephen right there with him. With the rest of the apostles. It says, and Saul was there giving approval to his death. You know, you got to be careful about mob rule and just going along with the mob. You know, it's easy to go along with a big group of people and agree with them. It's harder to stand up for the truth. You can get caught up easily in that mob mentality because you don't want to be singled out or you don't want to have any harm come against you. But even we have to be like Stephen. We have to stand up to the truth or else we can be swept away with the mob. And in the end, Jesus can say, depart from me because I never knew you. You know, you, they say you cast out demons in my name. You did all these things in my name, it says. But he also says, depart from me. I never knew you. Jesus says, for those who believe, who have faith in his word, who are not afraid, but have an excitement of heaven in the future... He says in John 20, 24 through 29, I got to read it to you. John 20, 24 through 29. He's telling it, he tells it, he gives you an example of this to Thomas. He says, now Thomas... One of the twelve was not with the disciples when Jesus came. This is after Jesus appeared to him. And Thomas, because Thomas wasn't there, he didn't believe. So the other disciples who saw Jesus said, who told, who's telling Thomas, or Thomas about it, he said, so the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand in his, into his side, I won't believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your fingers here. See my hands? Reach out your hand. Put it into my side. Then he says to him, Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. 
Then Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but they are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen me, yet believe. Jesus is talking about us. Jesus is talking about us. He said you will be blessed because you believe. You don't doubt. You stand on the word. You stand on that testimony that Stephen gave of the account of the ancients that went before. On the account of the prophets that prophesied the coming of Jesus, the Messiah, Emmanuel, which means God with us. He also tells us in that thing, we need to stop doubting. I think that's a good thing for today. Because there's a lot of doubt and unbelief in the church. And there's a lot of division. We need to stop doubting and believe. That's a good warning to those that know the truth, isn't it? For those that know the truth, who've heard the truth, but still doubt it. It's funny because that's how Thomas was. Thomas knew the truth. He walked with Jesus for 30-something or three years. Now, Jesus was on the earth for about 33 years. But Thomas walked with Jesus, was taught with Jesus. He knew the truth. For three years, Jesus even told him that he was going to die and be rose again. On the third day, the Son of Man will rise. Thomas saw all the miracles that Jesus did. He saw the healing of the blind, the dead raised. The leopards being cleansed. Thomas saw all that. He knew the truth. But he still doubted. That's the same for us. We know the truth because we have it written. We have his word written right here in front of us. And we know the truth. The truth has been preached throughout this world for thousands of years. God has said he, in the word, God said he made it plain. He made, it, he made it the truth plain for all. It's a good warning for those that know the truth but still deny the truth and still doubt the truth. Stop doubting. Time to believe. It's as if he's saying, knock it off. You're wasting time. Precious time, and time is short. We all know that. We're wasting time. Knock it off. Knock off the nonsense. You know the truth, believe the truth. You know the truth, live the truth. 
In Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. It's as if Paul is saying it this way. He's like, hey, listen, you've heard this. You've heard all this stuff before. All you got to do now is believe it and live it. He said, brothers, my heart's desires and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own ways. They did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the end of the law. So that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No man goes to heaven except through Jesus. You don't have to earn your way anymore is what Paul is saying. Listen, you just need to believe on Jesus. Christ was the sacrifice is what Paul is saying. He was the pure and spotless lamb. Sacrificed once and for all. For everyone through eternity. For all those who believe. Moses described this. Moses describes in this way the righteousness that is by the law. The man who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the deep? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does he say? He says, the word is near you. It is in your mouth. And on your heart. That is the word of faith. We are proclaiming. Paul says, that is the word of faith we are proclaiming. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all. And richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Thank you, Jesus. If it wasn't for this statement, if it wasn't Jesus dying for all and God being Lord of all, Where would we be? 
as Gentiles outside of the nation. Where would our hope be? We wouldn't have any hope. We wouldn't know where we go at the end. We wouldn't know what death has for us at the end of our lives. But it says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile, meaning we are all children of God, created in his image. Every single one of us. Black, white, red, yellow, green, purple, blue. We're all created in God's image. We're all children of God. And he is Lord of all. He is the Lord of lords and King of kings. Amen. Amen. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from by hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word of Christ. But I ask, did they not hear, of course, did they not hear? He says, but I asked, did they not hear? Of course they've heard. Of course they did, it said. It says, the voice has gone out into all the earth. Their words to all, to the end of the world. And again, I asked, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you envious by those who are not a nation. I will make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. And Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. But concerning Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. All day long, to my own people. I hold out my hands. And still they're disobedient. And they're obstinate. You know, when Jesus went and he healed the ten leopards, he told them, he said, you go and you show yourselves to the high priest and you'll be healed. You go on your way and show yourself to the high priest. They asked if they would be healed. They fell at Jesus' feet. Lord, can you heal us? All ten went. All ten got healed. Only one came back and worshipped Jesus. Only one. Do you think it was an Israelite? That came back and worshipped him? No. It wasn't. It was a Samaritan. 
And Jesus asked the Samaritan, He says, Didn't I heal all ten? Where are the other nine? He said, Lord, I don't know where the other nine are, but I'm here to worship you. And he got on his knees and he worshiped Jesus. But it's amazing. That's what that word right there says. Even though he healed them, they still didn't come back to worship him. You would think that they would have ran back to the man who healed him and said, Hallelujah, praise God, it's a miracle. I'm healed. But they didn't. It's like that in our day. We know the truth. Messing with my cord here. We know the truth. It says the truth sets you free. We have the word of God as a testimony. Back then, they didn't have the Word of God. They didn't have this book written out. This book was getting written. They had the testimony of Jesus, the eye account witnesses of what he did. They had the Torah before the first four books of the Bible. They had some of the writings of the prophets But not all of them had that stuff available to them. They don't have the Word of God like we have the Word of God. We can take this book with us anywhere we go. We've heard the message. We know the truth. We just need to believe it and receive it by faith. What is faith again? Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Faith is being sure of what we hope for. Are you sure in your heart of hearts that at the end of your days that you're going to be with Jesus in heaven? Do you have that hope That's what we need. We need that belief. We need that assurance. We need that faith to believe it. Or is your faith in this world? You put your faith into this world and it's going to take care of you? What does the world have to offer at the end of life? Nothing. Has nothing to offer. Has no assurances of heaven. What do you die and just die and you just go back to the ground? You might be able to get reincarnated into a tree or an ant or a bug and God help you if you came back as a spider because you'd be dead in my house. (laughs) Or a moth, because how many moths? I got one of those light killers, bug zappers. 
No. Faith and hope is in Jesus Christ. On this solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. It literally is sinking sand. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. I want to close with this reading. It's called The Way to Victory by Smith Wigglesworth. If ever God is disappointed with you when you wait in his presence, it will be because you are not fervent. If you are not serious and intense, you disappoint God. If God is with you and you know it, be in earnest prayer and believe. Hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. That's Hebrews 3.6. If you do not, you disappoint God. Jacob was that way. God said you are not real enough. You are not hot enough. You are too ordinary. You are no good to me unless you are filled with zeal and are white hot. The angel of the Lord said, let me go for the day breaks. Genesis 32, 26. Jacob knew if God went without blessing him, he could not meet Esau. Esau was Jacob's brother. If you are left alone with God and you cannot get to a place of victory, it is a terrible time. You must never let go. Whatever you are seeking, fresh revelation, light for your path, some particular need, never let go. Victory is yours, is ours, if we are earnest enough. Do you hear that? Victory is ours if we are earnest enough. All must pass on. Nothing less will please God. Let me go for the day breaks. Jacob was wrestling with equal strength. Nothing is obtained that way. You must always master that with which you are wrestling. If darkness covers you, if a fresh revelation is what you need, or if your mind needs to be relieved, always get the victory. God says you are not earnest enough. You say, the word does not say that, but it is what, it is, what is in God's mind. In wrestling, the strength is in the neck, chest, and thigh. The thigh is the source of the strength. So God touched his thigh. With that strength gone, defeat is sure. But what did Jacob do? He hung on. Didn't he? Jacob hung on. God intends for people to be severed by their by the power of his power. 
So hold fast. He will never let go. If we let go, we will fall short. Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Remember that story? Jacob wrestling with the angel. He said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And God blessed him. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. The name changed from Jacob to Israel was a wonderful thing. Israel stands for victory all the time. God is building the all the time. God is sufficient all the time. Now Jacob has power over Esau, power over the world, power over the cattle. All is in subjection as he comes out of the great night of trial. The sun rises upon him. Oh, that God may take us on. What happened after that? We can read how God blessed and honored him. Esau met him. There is no fighting now. What a blessed state of grace. They kiss each other. What a man's way. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Proverbs 16:7 When a man's ways pleases the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Esau asked him, "What about all this these cattle, Jacob?" Jacob, "Oh, they are a present for you." Esau, "I have plenty. I don't want your cattle. What a joy it is to see your face again." What a wonderful change. Who caused it? God. Could Jacob hold God? Can you hold God? Yes, you can. Sincerity can hold him. Dependency can hold him. Weakness can hold him. For when you are weak, you are strong. I'll tell you what cannot hold him. Self-righteousness cannot hold him. Pride cannot hold him. Assumption cannot hold him. High-mindedness cannot hold him. Thinking you are something when you are nothing. Puffed up in your image, imagination. You can hold him in your prayer closet, in the prayer meeting, everywhere. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and die with him and him with me. Can you hold him? You may sometimes think that he has left you. Oh no, he does not leave Jacob, Israel. What changed his name? The wrestling. What changed his name? The holding on. The clinging. The brokenness of spirit. If you do not help me, I am no good. No good for the world's need. I am no longer salt. Jacob obtained the blessing because of the favor of God and his yielding, yieldedness to God's will. God's spirit was working in him to bring him to a place of helplessness. God worked to bring him to Bethel, 
the place of victory. Jacob remembered Bethel, and through all the trying circumstances, he had kept his vow. When we make vows and keep them, God helps us. We must call upon God and give him an account of the promise. And Jacob called the name of that place Penal, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. How did he know? Do you know when God blesses you? Do you know when you have victory over 20 years later? The vision of the ladder and the angels remain with Jacob. We must have a perfect knowledge of what God has for us. He knew that he had the favor of God and that no man could hurt him. Let us in all our seeking see that we have the favor of God. Keep his commandments. Walk in the spirit. Be tender-hearted and lovable. If we do these things, we will be appreciated by others, and our ministry will be a blessing to those who hear. God bless you. God bless you for Jesus' sake. That was Smith Wigglesworth. Hold on. Can we hold on to the truth? Can we hold on in faith and believing in God's word and never letting go? Even through our wrestling times, our hard times, it's when we need to hold on the most. Remember, God is with us. He'll never fail us or forsake us. And he promises us that he would bless us if we hold on. If we just press on and press through, God will be with each one of you. Amen? Let's stand for the blessing. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face to you and give you peace on all sides. And Lord God, I pray, Lord God, that as we heard your word today, I read a lot of the word to us, Lord Jesus, to your people, that it would sink into our hearts. Lord, anything that's not of you, anything that, Lord God, come out of me, I pray that it would fall away, Lord God. I just want your word to be in our hearts. And I want our faith to be increased and our disbelief to be decreased, Lord God, so that we can believe in all things. So we can have the same faith that Stephen had, even though he was being stoned, Lord God. So that we can have the courage that Paul has to preach the word boldly. So we can stand on the truth, Lord God, because all the ground is sinking sand. The world has nothing to offer. Only your word has everything. Lord, your promises are everything. And eternity is eternity forever. Lord, and I want to spend that with you, and I want all of us here to do the same. And I just pray this over your people today. I pray your blessings in Jesus' name. Amen.